A standing ovation? Wow. You guys having a good time already? How many people were here last year? How many people here for the first time? You're gonna f love this cruise, man. Hey, we're gonna start off right away. We've got a lot of great podcasts over the next four days, but the one that I wanted to start with, uh, very, very, very special to me. Uh, we're talking about the NWO. And originally we had all the members of NWO. Life happens, guys get jobs, guys get gigs. So we switched around a bit. We still got a lot of great people. It's gonna be one of the best podcasts of the whole show, whole tour, whole cruise. So I'm gonna bring my guys out right now. I got Eric Bischoff. Scott Hall. Diamond Dallas Page. And a special surprise, Booker T. Tonight. Before we get started, before we get started, guys, before we get started, last last time I saw a ring like this, it was at the Hall of Fame when Bret Hart got jumped. So if any of you guys think about jumping your ass in here, you better think twice. All right? I just want to let you know that. Okay? <laughs> you got the wrong group of guys for that shit. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> So what I thought would be interesting to talk about the NWO, obviously probably the most popular faction in wrestling history uh, by far, uh, super influential and basically changed the entire uh, wrestling world. Um, I guess to start out with it, I'll, I'll ask Eric, um, you had just taken over WCW or you were in the midst of taking over. Where did the concept of the NWO start? And how did you pitch it to your superiors, which I assume are probably Turner Sports? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I've tried to answer this question a number of times before on my podcast. 83 weeks, by the way. 83 weeks! Go see him tomorrow. And I, 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 I never seem to do a very adequate job of explaining kind of the beginning of it all. But about 1993 or so... I started spending a lot of time in Japan with New Japan Pro Wrestling, really trying to... That was back when um, um, Masa, Saito Masa, Saito, was, right? Masa Saito was very instrumental in bringing a lot of the... Because you're from Minneapolis, or you worked there, and Masa Saito was very influential with Brad Ringens, and they were always... Yeah, that was right? the connection. It was really Brad Ringens was my connection. Right. Brad and I knew each other in high school, and... 
And when I got the, the spot in WCW, Brad and I were trying to really resurrect the relationship between New Japan and WCW because Bill Watts pretty much had burned it to the ground. And in that process, I was spending a lot of time over there. And I'll try to keep this really short because we don't have a lot of time. But I, w I was studying what was working in Japan because the business in, at New Japan back in 94, 93, 94, they were hot as hell. They were putting 60, 80,000 people, 100,000 people in the Tokyo Dome for the big shows. And here in the United States, WWF at the time, WWE now obviously, and WCW were really, they were having a hard time in, in, in the live event side of things. You guys aren't taking over the show, so shut your mouth. So I, to, to sum it up, I was over there kind of studying what worked over there and the difference, differences between the, the way the product was presented in Japan and here in the States. And one of the things I noticed is it was very, it was so much more real there. You know, the, the storylines, the characters, the action in the ring was more reality-based. And here in the United States, it was more character, kind of comedy, cartoonish. And in studying it, I was kind of watching the, you know, intercompany wars and that kind of thing. And that's where the idea started. Fast forward, DDP calls me one Saturday afternoon, which he did every Saturday afternoon. We live right down the street from each other, so he'd show it up about 11 o'clock in the morning. And we'd drive around drinking beer. It was, what was it, a 1974 Mercedes 450 SL? And a pink Cadillac. <laughs> Talking about wrestling. And Scott became available, Kevin Nash became available, and then what was a loose idea that I had from studying Japan all of a sudden became kind of a reality. So, Scott, when you, because at the time, you know, WWF, 1995 or so, you're one of the top guys, Diesel's one of the top guys, Razor Ramon, obviously Diesel, um, and I know this because I just went through it from leaving Vince to go work with AEW. Was it something, uh, did you give Vince a call and say, we have this option, or what led to you leaving WWF to go to, to WCW? Well, I had been schooled in kind of the old school art of doing business with promoters by Kurt Hennig. Mm. So I pulled Vince aside one time on TV and said, hey, boss, can, can I ask you for some advice? Because Kurt said the smart guys, they like to help. He wants to help. So I said, hey, boss, like, is it my ring work that needs to improve? What do I need to work on? It? Well, absolutely not. You're one of the best we got. And I said... I said, is it my mic skills? Is something like, can you help me get better? And he went, oh, I love what you're doing. I said, because I'm curious because I want to make big money like the guys who preceded me. And I've noticed my pay has kind of plateaued, although I feel my value to the company is increasing. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm a baby face that you can leave lame, and they chant my name. I mean, I would put guys over and they chanted my name. So I was in a good spot, I felt like. And I always thought said too, like, when I first started, I, he said, you're going to make a lot of money. And I said, I don't have to have the most. I just want a lot. You know? Like, like hey. I just, I'm an old redneck. I live kind of humbly. You know, I'll, I'll get by fine. I just want a little bit more, please. And so uh, he said no. So back then, your contract was required. You give your contract your notice 90 days in advance in writing. And I'll be darned if I didn't fail a piss test the next day. <laughs> and it was six weeks old. And I went, wow, I guess they got my notice. Wow. And uh, 
Then I, I, and Vince never sold it though. I gave my notice. He never sold it. He never said, hey, let's talk. Let's work this out. This is kind of what I was hoping. And uh, I don't know. The only time he asked to speak to me at all was after the, you know, the, the big show Masters Square Garden famous curtain call took place later. It's intermission. They're setting the cage up for Sean and Kev. I'm in, and I get summoned to Vince's office. And I'm thinking, hey, I didn't get hurt. I'm out of here. I'm going down there. Whatever way's late for me, I'm going. And he comes in and he goes, God damn it, you still work for me. What them sons of bitches offer you? And I said, Vince, I don't feel comfortable really talking about this. You know, I told Eric Bishop I'm coming to work. What they offer? I told him, ooh. He said, that's a pretty good deal. I said, you asked. And, uh, you know, I said, you know, I'm, I'm out of here. And Sean burst in, oh, I want this to happen. And the curtain call took place. Vince knew about it ahead of time. You know, and... I was really excited to go down. Eric met me at the airport, and he started laying great things out, and I was just doing my part to try to execute it. So was it um, when you found out that, that Scott and Kevin were available? Because back in those days, it was uh, Vince would offer you an opportunity. That was the contract you got. My contract was, as everybody's, except maybe Hulk and stuff, right. Warrior, 10 days at $150 a date, guaranteed. Now, you made more than that, but that was what you were guaranteed. That's what the contract said. $1,500. And you give up everything for $1,500. That is so insane when you think about that. Yeah, but I, was, I lined up to do it. I, you well, know. And all of us would have. I would have done it had I gotten the chance. But that's 1995, guys. So think about how the business progressed. Well, so, back then, Chris, there was no guaranteed money. Right. You know, you get your check and you look at it and then you look at the towns and you go, ah, oh, then I'd be calling Sean and go, what'd you get in Cleveland? Like, we were the first, I think, I don't know, back in that era, you guys have been around, guys didn't talk about money in the car. It was verboten. You don't talk about, what'd you get? I got this, man, you're getting screwed, bro. You know, and we started talking like that. And then we had kid with us who was like kind of young boy in the car. But we're going, no, you're a big part of that match. You, it doesn't matter how old you are. You call and ask for years. And then they, they're talking to each other. We'll just pay them then and, you know, let's not, don't let it spread through the whole locker room. What are you talking to them for about the money they make? He hated that. Vince hated when you talked to your opponents what they made. But Eric, WCW was a different animal because you could, excuse me, offer the guaranteed money, which Vince did not. So when you find out that Scott and, and, and Kevin Nash are available... Are you putting together a deal like, I'm going to get these guys, here's what I'm going to offer, and did you have to ask permission from your superiors to give these big money deals? I didn't. Um, and, and it's important that people understand, and I know this is a little bit in the weeds, as you, those of you that listen to the podcast know I tend to get in the weeds often. <laughs> Not in the weed, in the weeds. <laughs> Two different things. Damn it. However, I, I have been known. <laughs> that, uh, you can't prove that, officer. <laughs> what, what are the reasons that WWE, WWF at the time, was able to offer downside guarantees that were so minimal and guys could still make so much money because there was a lot of profit participation in pay-per-views, in house show revenue, specifically in licensing and merchandising. Those were all revenue streams that WCW didn't have at the time. WCW had no live event game. We were giving tickets away to winos that would fall asleep at frickin' ringside, drinking hey, a cheap wine. The winos and need love, too. <laughs> hey, there's no hate here. There's no hate. 
But we were given tickets away. There was no licensing and merchandising. Our pay-per-views were almost non-existent you know, from a profit point of view. So there was no upside to profit share with. So the only way we could possibly compete for the upper echelon of talent um, was to offer that minimum guarantee. It wasn't because we wanted to. It wasn't because Ted Turner had all this money and he was willing to throw it out there. It was like, look, you either want to be, if you want to be in the business and you want someone like Scott Hall and Kevin Nash or Hulk Hogan ultimately and others, you got to write a check because if you don't write them a check, they're going to be able to make it over at WWF, not as a guarantee, but they're still going to make the money. So we were offered guarantees, but to answer the last part of your question, I had a, a budget cap of, or discretionary cap of a million dollars. So any deal that I entered into, if it was a million dollars or less, I didn't have to pick up the phone. If it was a, if it was a million dollars and one cent, I had to run it by the finance committee. Per year or total? Per year. Gotcha. So, so Book, when you're talking about WCW 1995, when did you start in WCW? Um, end of 92. 92. So where was WCW 95? Eric mentioned giving tickets to winos, etc. Was the company in a lull from your standpoint? Um, before these guys came in, um, I, I never really looked at the, um, the finance side or anything like that. Um, I, I was always about, you know, bottom line. You know what I mean? Um, how, much, how, how much money I was getting paid. You know what I mean? I really didn't care. It ain't show friends, it's show no, business. I'm saying, no, no, because you gotta, you gotta understand, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta understand when I came in, um, I, was a, I was a street kid, you know, and uh, when I first came into WCW, I think I was making like $75,000, and I was like, man, this, I'm making, I couldn't believe somebody was paying me actually to wrestle. And then um, I, was, I was with Sid, though. Sid Vicious uh, got me and my brother in, and uh, he was like, don't worry about it, bro, your money's gonna go up, you know, every three months, so everybody, you know what I mean? I was like, okay, cool, you know, and, then I, I was making like 150000 you know. Then I was making like 200000 225000 and I'm like, well, this, I'm good, you know what I mean? So, I, like I said, I was a street kid making two hundred. That didn't last long, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that shit wears off real fast. <laughs> you know, cream rise to the top. You know, cream to rise to the top. But I, I was happy making what I was making, and I, 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 I just didn't look at it from a... a business finance side like like I thought Eric and you know everybody else should from an upper echelon yeah. what about you Paige you, uh, uh, Eric mentioned you guys were living down the street from each other your friends was he asking you your thoughts was it a complete surprise kayfabe well I, I remember that he had told me he had we were in my garage at this time drinking beer that's what we did <laughs> we went to the Longhorn Saloon and we drank beer and we talked wrestling non-stop and I had a real relationship with this guy you know, um, from WC, actually Florida Championship Wrestling, and he had called me about coming in as the Diamond Stud, which was an idea that I had in Florida. And uh, he said, you know... Let me had... give you some props here, Dally. I've told this story before, but for people who don't know, this guy is so loving. I call him my old lady's pregnant. I'm going to tear up. Um... <clears throat> I need a job, and I need one back. And he gets me a tryout, but then before that, now you gotta remember, I'm laying in bed with a pregnant old lady, and they get a little testy. And I mean, three in the morning, phone ring, bro, bro, bro. I got it, bro. You know, I had a big old mustache, you know, I was liking it, and big brown bushy hair, he goes, bro, you gotta lose that mustache. 
And then click. Couple of, next day, four and more. Hey, bro, bro, jet black hair. You got to do it, bro. Nobody's doing it. Black hair. And I'm thinking like, ah, like mud or what? And he gave, Dally gave me the toothpick. We were paying our bill at Waffle House and we're walking out and he goes, I got it, bro. We'll both have toothpicks. So I, he knows how I feel about him, but I like to make it public. He's a great guy right here. Totally the truth. I got to tell a quick story about Scott Hall. I've never told it before. That my dad and I used to go to AWA in Winnipeg when you guys came to town. And one time uh, you were in a tag team match and somebody gave a backdrop. And I remember you said, holy shit, did you see how high that guy went? And my dad and I heard you say it. And we were like, did you hear that? My dad's like, yeah, did you hear that? Yeah, he said, how high did that guy go? <laughs> I was always kind of brutal. <laughs> so Eric, when, when, when you first have a Nash, I believe it was Kevin uh, came and power, Scott came in for, oh, wow. So tell us about how you guys worked that out. Was it a secret? Were you hiding in the arena? Because it was a huge deal when you kind of inferred that it was an invasion of WWE. And who is that? We know who that is. He came from up north or whatever it was. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> the end always hangs in the beginning. And the end of this story ended up in a federal uh, trademark and copyright lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> because we, we, we really pushed the envelope uh, as far as we possibly could. But no, Scott was available first. And this, you know, what I remember, this is a long time ago, you know, and, and a lot of things have happened, and I may not remember all the details the same way Scott might. I got some of them, so when you're done, I'll fill so, you So uh, between the three of us, we should be able to fill in the blanks pretty good. But Scott was available. The idea was still formed. The idea for the NWO, much too, um, to... to disagree with a lot of the things that have been written in the dirt sheets and in news media about where the idea for the NWO came from. It didn't come from Japan. The idea, as I started to talk about earlier, the reality part of it, the reality portion of the story where two guys, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, who by the way previously worked in WCW, this is what made this thing work, all right? It was a perfect storm. Scott Hall, Kevin Nash worked in WCW. They were there when I came to WCW, right? They left because they weren't getting paid what they thought they were worth. They thought they could make more money. They thought they could be bigger stars, and they were right. And they left, and they went on to WWF, and they became big stars. And then when it was time for them to leave, and they became available, and this is the shoot part of this, I went, wait a minute. This is the perfect premise for a great story. Here's Scott Hall coming back to WCW to get revenge on the people that didn't treat him the way he should have been treated. It was a perfect reality-based storyline. So we brought Scott in, and I didn't keep Scott a secret. That, everybody knew that Scott was coming in. I picked Scott up at the uh, one of the Marriotts, I think, right close to the airport, and we drove down to Macon together, and we kind of laid out to Scott what we were going to do as far as him coming down through the crowd and all that. And then we worked out the finer details. I think it was Macon, Georgia, wasn't it, Scott? Yes. Yeah. So that part of it um, was not a secret. The Kevin part of it, that's when we started kayfabing the audience and everybody else, because I really, really, really wanted a surprise. I, I just believe that the wrestling fans love surprises, and I really wanted to, to pull one off. So it just, 
it laid out perfectly. Scott came down, he teased, you know, my big buddy or however he phrased it. And the following week, I think it was, or two weeks later, whatever it was, you know, Kevin came back or Kevin came down, made his appearance, and of course we teased the third guy. And that portion of it, the Hulk Hogan portion of it, is the part that I really kept to myself. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't even tell Scott and Kevin till really towards the end of it who it was going to be. You don't remember this. Dubbing crowd, jump in here. This is exactly what happened. (laughs) I remember like it was yesterday. We're in my garage drinking beer. And I bring up Kevin Nash because I don't believe it's about who you know or who knows you. I believe it's about who's willing to say they know you, who's willing to pick up the phone for you. And I brought him up, not knowing Scott. I'm just talking about Kevin Nash at the time, and Eric says, he's a douchebag. <laughs> I said, no, he's not. He goes, yes, he is. He lied to me. I said, when did he lie to you? He said, when he came in, I wanted to do something with him. I definitely saw money in him, and I asked him, you know, this because he wanted his release. And what had happened from there was from up in New York, and they started talking and said, hey, he'd make a great you know, bodyguard for Sean. So Kevin and I come from the nightclub business. He thought at the time that Kevin, because he just got control of the thing as far as the money and everything, he did not know what Kevin had been through. He was brought in at 150000 and by the time he left, there was no guarantee Bill Watts had it at the time. He made 62 grand that year. Paid for his food, his travel, his gimmicks, everything. And I said, he got f***ed. I go, you don't know that about him. I will put my name on the line for Nash. And Eric is the kind of guy where he'll go, okay. If you, no, I really like, if it makes sense, and you're going to stick up for him, and he knows me. Because we have super, like, crazy history. Not just across the street. We go way back. And it started with a pull-apart fight. I mean, that's how it started. And we became best friends after that. It took a while. <laughs> but the bottom line is, he said, call him. So I picked up the phone and I called him. And he went, hmm. All right, and whatever we got to the spot, I think, Scott, you tell me. At the end, did you know you were both coming, thinking about it at the same time? I remember when I gave my notice to Vince and I had the letter of intent from WCW. And I had, we had this famous most favored nations clause, which with, in illegal terms, if anybody else comes in and gets more, you got to pay me too. And... Uh, Smart deal. So, yeah, God bless you, Barry Bloom. He's on the boat somewhere. Hey, Scott, <laughs> I have that in every contract now. <laughs> and uh, so I remember telling I said, I'm out here, man. And he goes, I'm staying. And I said, well, if you leave, get more than this. And I showed it to him. But then he went out and they did Dick. The, they did. <laughs> they, he, worked, he worked with Brett in a cage match on a pay-per-view. And the finish was Taker. He was going to powerbomb Brett. Taker was going to come up through the ring and pull Kevin to the bottom, and Brett was going to win. I remember that. And uh, and Taker and Kevin were going to work at WrestleMania. Brett wouldn't do it. So they went out and did the thing where Brett didn't get beat, and when Kev came back, he said, I'm out of here too. 
So I, knew, I figured at least I'll know one guy down there. So all I did was give him, you know, however the process happened, the next thing I know, he's telling me they're both coming in. And I was like, oh, wow. So let me ask you this, and all of us know this feeling. I mean, the book, I remember you came in when I won the Undisputed Championship was a big surprise. And Paige, you've done the surprise things. Scott, how was it for you uh, leaving WWE where you felt a little bit underappreciated? Uh, and then you come to WCW where now you are basically top guy right off the bat. Well, I had no idea that all this stuff was going to blow up like this. You know, never I, I remember WCW being brutal. You know, so I'm thinking I don't care if it's empty. I'm getting my money. I've already did. I already did the starving artist thing. They already chanted my name in Madison Square Garden. I got all that in my scrapbook. I want the cheddar. You know, so. And guys, this is the real thing. Like, when you get to a certain point in your career, it's all about, you know, the only thing that matters, kid, is the money and the miles. So when you actually get the money... It's the only, it's the only thing that's real. Well, yeah, and when Vince is offering 1500 bucks a year, of course you're going to take the offer. But as a professional, it's the creative that really hooks us. Oh, yeah, right? and I remember that leaving Madison Square Garden that night was emotional because I said, man, I'll probably never be here again. And it was sold out, and I was kind of one of the reasons why. It felt really good, but I thought, I was telling myself, don't be a mark. Get the money, sell out. Like, people, when I left Madison Square Garden that night, I put Triple H over, took the pedigree, laid there forever. I'm leaving, and the people are chanting, you sold out. And this is before everybody had access to news on their phone and stuff. It's like a handful of dirt sheet readers, and it reverberated through the whole place. I remember pointing back. You know how Vince always stood right outside the curtain there? I remember pointing Still does. I remember going, you tell him, give me the money, and I'll stay right here. And he just looked down. I had the same thing. I'm not in AW because I was a rebel. I'm in AW because Vince went, go. Yeah, that's and then, and then, And then when I went, he went, uh, you signed the contract? Well, you, yeah. Can you get out of it? No. And, and Chris, you, you know, told me to sign it. And you know, I think a lot of fans here will agree that is going to have is already having the same effect on the wrestling business that this NWO move had. It's just it's it's not Monday Night Wars anymore. It's Wednesday Night Wars. And and he and, had the and, and, but and, he had the opportunity to stop it like he did with you, which is very interesting to me because twenty three years later he made the same. I love Vince. I would have stayed for less. I just wanted a guarantee. Yeah. And he wouldn't do it. Eric, were you surprised when... Okay, so Scott comes in. I might be getting this wrong. Scott comes in. Welcome to the jungle. Powerbombs you to the stage. Kev comes in. When Hogan was in... This is a funny story. You probably don't remember this. I actually met you in... Uh, uh, what's it called? Turner Towers or whatever. Right? And we were talking about our contract. And I asked you, like a... Mark, a 25-year-old Mark, I apologize. Who's the third guy? And you said, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. But nobody knew who the third guy was. Suddenly you bring in Hulk, and it becomes this right off the bat, huge. Did you ever expect that? Did you have any inkling? Or obviously, as a, as a, as a um, let's say the director, you must have known Hogan being a heel would be good, but did you think it would be that crazy strong no I, i'd be lying if i wow. said i did 
I mean, I, we, we believed it would be hot. And, and the sequence, just by the way, for those of you that didn't see it or haven't seen it on the WWE Network, you know, Scott came in, he kind of teased his big buddy that was coming in. Kevin came in, he teased the third guy. It was. <laughs> Some people thought it was Mabel. That's a good call. <laughs> Don't get me started. I mean, Conrad's not here this week, and I thought finally I'm not going to get hot. Was wait, Mabel was big? Was big Nelson though, right? Was, Mabel was Nelson. Uh, what a what a great. I never heard that rumor. No, it was. Well, hold on. What a great. He's passed away now. What a great guy. Love love that guy. God bless you, Nelly. Great hat. But the, the interesting thing was, Hulk was off doing a movie. I'm going to back up just for a second further. A year before all this went down, I went down to Tampa to meet with Hulk. Because the red and yellow thing, the baby face thing, the Hulkamania thing wasn't working. He knew it wasn't working. I knew it wasn't working. The fans knew it wasn't working. Everybody knew it wasn't working. So I flew down there thinking, okay, I'm going to try to take my best shot and talk Hulk into turning heel. So I, I, at the time, I had my own plane, so I flew down to, to Clearwater, got to his house. It was like weekday afternoon. We're sitting down in a big mansion on the, on the water. He invites me in. Super nice. Hulk is one of the nicest, sweetest people you'll ever meet. Always gracious. We sit in his office. We're common thread here. Having a beer. <laughs> and we're it's kind of what we do, guys. <laughs> Sorry. We're, we're, we're kind of talking through you know, my, my idea of turning the Hulk keel, and he's listening and listening and listening. As, as, as I get into it, I'm pitching my ass off. And what I need to sell, like, I can sell. I can sell anybody anything if I want to. And I'm selling my guts out, and I see him doing this. He gets this funky thing he does with his lips. He looks like a fish. And he's stroking his Fu Manchu, and I'm thinking, he's either really loving this, or he's going to punch me. It's one or the other. <laughs> He's doing this, and he goes, Brother, I gotta pick my kids up at school. Thanks for coming by. You'll obviously never know what it means to walk a mile in these boots until you do. Thanks for coming. Basically, threw me out of his house. He did it very elegantly. Right. Like, I didn't feel bad, but I was on my way out the door and in my plane heading back to Atlanta. And then he went off to go do a movie called Sing. Santa with muscles. We just did a watch along of that on Talk is Jericho about a month ago. Not a not a great movie. He's he's out in California. I've, I've always thought though that's the kind of trouble you need when people go, man, your third movie sucked. <laughs> they still treat you great. And he's getting paid and he's yeah. loving it. And, and how many of us here have been the lead in a movie? If they come in and say, hey Jericho, we want Santa with muscles too, I'd be like, yeah, man. I'm in. <laughs> Where are we filming? So Hulk's off doing this movie called Santa with Muscles, right? And while he's off doing this movie, what's going on back in Atlanta is Scott Hall and Kevin Nash and the who's the third guy going to be, right? I think by that time Kevin had powerbombed me off the stage in Baltimore or something. So the next thing I know, my phone rings and it's Hulk. He goes, hey brother, can you come out to California? I'm stuck on location. I, I, I can't leave, but I'd really like to talk to you. Sure. So I go out to California. I drive like 380 miles up into the mountains <laughs> on location. <laughs> And I, I, I walked into his, his uh, trailer, and it was like 11 o'clock at night by the time I got there. And I walk into his trailer, and he's got like four cases 
of what? Beer. And, and smart a, people. In a small, in a small, in a small box of Cuban cigars, and I sat down with him, and he goes, "So, who's the third man going to be?" I said, and I'm like, "Wow, yeah, he didn't know." And it was going to be Sting, because I'd been talking to Sting all along. So the original third man was Sting. The original third man was going to wow. be Sting. Because I'm not sure that's an exclusive or not, but we're going to say that it is. Exclusively, you heard that here first. No, because, because Hulk, Hulk had already turned me down, right? So he, the idea of pitching that to Hulk didn't even occur to me. It just, like, the farthest thing in my mind. So I'm working, right, and Sting was very tan at the time, so it worked for me. So I'm working with Sting, and I finally convinced Sting, and he's excited about it. Then I get the phone call to come out to California. I sit down, smoke a couple Cuban cigars, my head's spinning off my shoulders. I shoot a couple beers, and he says, who's the third man going to be? And I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to tell him, because he's going to tell Jimmy Hart, and Jimmy's going to tell everybody. <laughs> hey, darling. Hey, darling. <laughs> so I floating, baby. So I, I said, well, who do you think it should be? And he went, I went, oh, here we go again. <laughs> I'm going back to Atlanta. <laughs> he said, you're looking at him, brother. I went, oh, okay. Because he saw the momentum. He saw what was going on with Scott and Kevin. He could feel it. And he threw himself, he threw his name into the hat. I said, well, that makes a lot of sense. Let's see if that works. And it, you know, once, he's, once he threw his name in the hat, I don't mean to ignore you folks over here, I'm sorry. Once he threw his name in the hat, um, Good to, good to meet you guys. <laughs> I, I knew that that was going to be the answer, but the, the thing that I wasn't sure of is whether or not he'd really follow through because he was a little unpredictable. Let's put it that way at the time. So I had Sting as my backup and Hogan as my agent. And had Sting agreed to, be, to turn heel yep. and be the third guy? Yep. So, Book, when you talk about, because now, now it's Hogan, it's Hall, it's Nash, it's a... Big deal. Go back to 96. We were all there. I had just started, um, but you had been there for a while. So had Paige. Oh, well, I, I don't remember you ever saying Sting. You, you, that's how quiet he kept it. He had to, though, because it was such a shock. But he did come up to me at the bar, the Longhorn. What were you guys drinking And he bar? said... <laughs> and he said... Because I'm like... I want to be the third guy. <laughs> it made no sense at all. But in the real world, I was the only guy who had a real relationship with both guys. So it really worked later. But at the time, I was pitching like a mother. <laughs> Knowing it would never work. But when he Bro, 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 bro. I got an idea. It's four o'clock in the morning. Bro, bro, bro. No, I remember Dallas telling me too. Okay. I get it with Hulk, but man, if I ain't number four, I don't even want to be in it. <laughs> Truth. So but that's how that whole idea, that whole idea comes. Well, when you see NWO start getting super over, and obviously, once again, I, I, I count you as one of the OG WCW guys, especially that Original. Time. Yeah. Original. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. OG. Were you thinking like, okay, this is cool, I want to work with these guys. What was your interaction like with, with Scott and Kevin? You know, you know what Book said? You know, Book is smooth as silk. We love working with him. Me and Kev worked with him and Stevie a lot. Yeah. And now, you know, NWO's, you know, gaining momentum. We're adding a guy every TV, you know. So I remember, I remember talking to Book, and he went, nah, I appreciate the love, man. I'm a solo act. <laughs> <laughs> actually, 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 he's a, uh, he's a, a Book. 
we need a little color. <laughs> so we settled for Virgil. Vincent. No, but I, Vincent. But I do say uh, NWO, man. It was so cool, man. It was so cool, and everybody wanted to be a part of NWO. And I, and I always say, if I wasn't Booker T, I would have wanted to be a part of NWO too. <laughs> you know, it's great. I was just telling. Uh, I can't remember what we were doing the other day. On uh, I was telling Tony Khan. He was like, "What do you want to do?" I was like, "You know what I want to do? We we'll do something." DiCaprio. What does that mean? DiCaprio. Well, Book and I, when we worked, if we worked a house show, and maybe it was a smaller crowd, or maybe we were whatever. He'd be like, tonight we're just going to do a little DiCaprio. Because at the time, Leonardo DiCaprio was in the movie Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. So Shakespeare means you just go out there and do Shakespeare stuff. DiCaprio! DiCaprio all day. We do that. We're going to do DiCaprio tonight. Uh, remember this one? I'd run at him with my arms in the air, and he would sideswipe me over the top rope. But you don't run at him like this. You run like this. DiCaprio. So let me ask you, so um, now here we are. It, it's the hottest act in the business. It's turning the tide. Now, 83 Weeks is your podcast. The reason why it's called 83 Weeks, for those of you who don't know, is for 83 weeks, WCW beat WWF. And that's the shoot. 83 weeks straight. You had the three. What was the mindset in starting to add guys? Because at a certain point, there was like 15 guys in the end of yeah yeah <laughs> like you know jackie crockett the cameraman was part of the nwo like everybody was in it what was your mindset in starting to add guys the original idea I, was you know what i want to know this myself because I, I never we did. don't know <laughs> no <laughs> i'm serious <laughs> that's right horace hogan and all of them should be going into the hall of fame too that's what i'm saying Every one of them, every last one of them. We'll yeah. ask that in a second. We're going to ask that in a second. I was in there for a week, so shit, I should be getting three rings. <laughs> hey, hey. How many more freaking rings do you need, dude? Look at it. Hold up your hands. He's already got two. He's going to run out of fingers. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> By the way, the only person here that's not in the Hall of Fame, WWE, is me. Hey, <laughs> Bischoff and Jericho connection, right there. They're, so, they're inducting the NWO in the Hall of Fame, but nah, not the guy who thought of it. You know? Uh, yeah, right. Leave him out. Okay, let, let's take because a little. Because for eighty-three weeks you kicked my ass. Scott, let's take a little side uh, uh, turn before we talk about this. Who do you think should? Because the NWO inducting into the uh, W Hall of Fame, it's you, Kevin, Sean, Waltman. Do you think there should be any others? Oh, Hogan too, right? Yeah, Hulk too. So there's four of you guys. Is there anybody else that should be in? Virgil. Vincent. Vincent. You know how things operate up there. It's not about what you produced or ticket sales or buy. We know that. I certainly think I would start with Eric. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree times a thousand. I think the reason why you're probably not going in is there's still the, the residual heat of like, ah, Bischoff. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? I don't think about it too much. So we talked about why are you, did you why ask no, just, you just every time you do your podcast. <laughs> By the way, it's called 83 Weeks. 
He's wink, doing wink, 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 Vince. <laughs> no, the reason... The, 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 quiet. The, quiet. Don't get me started now. The, re, the, the, the question was, why so many guys in the NWO? What was the logic behind that? And the reason for that, good idea, bad idea, it doesn't matter at this point, but the reason for it was because the idea originally was to create this hostile takeover, this war between the NWO and WCW. And I wanted NWO to take over the Nitro show, and I wanted WCW to have their own show on Thunder. So in order to ha for NWO to have their own show and have their own roster that was deep enough to sustain a two or at some point a three hour show, there had to be more NWO members that eventually would peel off and turn on the original NWO and all that kind of storyline gaga. But I was building up the NWO roster so I could eventually have WCW on Thunder, NWO on Nitro, and have my two companies, so to speak, battling each other. Good idea, bad idea, doesn't matter at this point, but that was the that was idea. Because yeah. you actually even had uh, an NWO pay-per-view. Uh, strictly NWO. Sold out. Sold out. Let's I talk. made out with some of the ugliest women in <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> Let's talk about that, because uh, I remember that was in Sioux... Sioux Falls, Iowa? No, it was in uh, Cedar Rapids, Cedar Iowa. Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Um, do you remember who you wrestled on that, Scott? I do. I remember who I wrestled. No, I don't remember. I don't remember who I wrestled Massa Chono, oh, who wow. was a uh, NW, NWO member, because you had NWO Japan. You were f pimping that shit out all over the world. <laughs> and you had a rock and roll band playing. He was the band Jackal, but without the singer. So it was the other guys from Jackal. What? And then Eric had a, a, a beauty contest. But all the girls were uh, big girls. And the winner of the big girl contest got to make out with Eric Bischoff. I got home from that pay-per-view. Yeah. I got home from that pay-per-view and my wife met me at the door and she just looked at me. What the hell? You have kids. Why would you do that? <laughs> it was fun. You know, the idea was... <laughs> look, we, I made, we, we made the NWO... Scott, I don't know if you remember this, man. I remember because I froze my... It was off. cold. It was, it was like January cold. or February yeah. or some shit. It, it was, was like really 12 cold degrees below that. zero. And we had to, we feel, you know, because everybody comes in in a limo and they make a big deal and they're styling and they're profiling, sorry, Rick, and make it, you know, right? I went, well, that's what everybody else does. I'm going to come in on a garbage truck. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we had Sean Waltman and Scott and Kevin and I were hanging on the back of a garbage truck. We filmed it the night before. So it was like 1 o'clock in the morning or 2 o'clock in the morning, so there was no traffic on the streets. About 10 or 12, 15 degrees below zero, we're freezing our asses off filming this entrance so we could, you know, come into the arena on the back of a garbage truck. It was awesome. I, I learned something really important, then, and, and guys, we've all been doing a lot of TV over the years. We've blessed enough to work TV and been around good crew people, and you've got a great staff here, Chris. Yes, sir, thank you. And uh, I remember... It was so cold, and they're gonna. Sh these guys, one guy's laying in the garbage of the truck to shoot me and Kev holding on, <laughs> holding on to the deals. Hey, he was there when I got there, and he was there when I left, and he didn't bitch at all. You know what I mean? And that's another thing I learned from Hennig. Like, 
No, these guys are here to make you look good. Don't be ever bitching at them, you know? Like I got two stories about that. Uh, one that you might not even remember, Scott. Um, one was uh, um, we got to the airport in the morning. It was Cedar Rapids, Iowa, like we said. Not a big airport. Super lined up. And I was standing in the back of like the middle seat smoking line, whatever I was at the time. Not a hot shot. And Hulkster was in the first class line. And he goes, what are you doing, brother? I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go stand in line with these 300 other people because I've got middle seat smoking. He's like, come with me. So we go to the line, and he checks in. He's like, hey, this is my little brother. Check him in. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I'm Hogan's little brother. Like, it was the best moment, right? Like, it was so cool. Like, like Eric said, Hulk is a great guy. And I just was so excited that he, was, he acknowledged my existence. The other thing was, you... Uh, took a um, a mason jar or some kind of a jar and you put snow in it and you took it home for your son because your son had never seen snow or wanted to see snow or something along those lines and I, just, I remember like by the time he got home it was probably melted but he took snow home and at the time listen there's, there's no there's no uh, you were crazy I was back hiding then. I was hiding drugs in it he, well, yeah you were yeah. By the, time, by the time he got back to Tampa, he was mixing vodka with the snow. <laughs> but you were off your rocker at that time frame, Scott. So I just remember thinking, like, that's pretty cool. He took some snow home for his son. So um, I have my moments. Yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let me ask you this. So w when you get to WCW and it's you and Kev and, and Hogan, what was your relationship like with, with Hulk? Because he was the odd man out in your friendship, basically. Yeah, I, I didn't know Hulk at all, but like anybody in the wrestling business, you're kind of a mark for him. I don't, you know, I'll How could you it. not be, right? Yeah. I'll admit it. Yeah. And uh, I'll never forget how, you know, when you've been around a long time, you already experience a lot of things in the ring, highs and lows, and, you know, it's really fun to share them with the guys you're working with. And here's Hulk, who to me has done it all, been to the mountaintop. And to see how excited he was after Bash at the Beach, and then later at Starcade when he did a job for Piper, in the sleeper, and he didn't have to. But we talked him into it. We said, no, then on Nitro, you lie about it. Just say, no, nah, I kicked Piper's ass. And he, he was, to see him so excited, like he just broke in, was really cool for me. Because of the creative. Yeah, that's, that's what we yeah, all like strive we, after for. After a while, the money doesn't matter. Like, I want it to be fun. Right. Know? Listen, it's great to make money. We all like that. But when you're actually creatively stimulated, and you're into it, that's the best. Right? Yeah, you're never working. Right, exactly. What can we do? What else can we do? What can we make like? Let me ask you a quick question, Eric, about the uh, uh, about the LWO, which of course is the yeah. <laughs> Latino World Order. Because now we're like, I'm just noticing there's a couple cats in there with NWO shirts on. Before we ask that question, how huge were the NWO shirts as a merch item, or were they not huge? No, they were. Uh, you know, certainly, they were. And again, you know context is king and in WCW prior to 96 you know with the NWO 97 in particular when it really took off there really was no merchandise business in WCW it was minimal minimal well, there was like no it, demand there was no demand it, 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 there, there was no there was no program there was it was just almost non-existent it was an asterisk in the financial statements every year that's how minimal it was 
And then when the NWO took off, it caught everybody surprise, by, by surprise. Nobody was prepared for it. So we were cranking shirts out like crazy. You mentioned, you know, NWO in Japan. We were selling $8 million a year worth of NWO merchandise in Japan. Wow. In wow. Japan. So it, wow. for WCW, it was a massive, massive piece of business. And it, you know, it got so big, and I, you know, I'll, I'll lead into the end or the LWO thing. As we're at the peak of our success with the NWO, I think it was 97, I was in Los Angeles, had a meeting with a guy by the name of Peter Goober. Funny name, but he was the C he had, he had been this he had been the CEO of uh, Shout out to Peter Goober. He had been the he, he had been the CEO of Sony Pictures, and now he just owns the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. One of the Los Angeles Dodgers. <laughs> what a mark! And, and, yeah, really. But he was really interested in what we were doing, and Jason Hervey was a part of that meeting, right? And Jason was a good friend of mine. And those of you that don't know Jason Hervey, he was the older brother in the Wonder Years, and a huge wrestling fan. How did you know? What's a what's a rerun? Was his big line for Back yeah. to the Future? Yeah, What's a rerun? Yeah, he had been in the movie since he was like four years old. But anyway, we were sitting around having dinner in a sushi bar. For the first time in a story, I wasn't drinking beer. How about that? Bullshit! No, I wasn't. It was early in the afternoon. And Jason came up with the idea. He said, God, you should have the Latino world order. Because we had been, you know, we had brought in a lot of the luchadors. A lot luchadors. of luchadors, yeah. And there were so many of them coming in. Too much beer. <laughs> So that's where that came from. It was just kind of a, an idea that, was, uh, that came up over lunch. So um, as we start to wind down here, I, I, I really, so, 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 so for you, Scott, when you saw the... Jesus, Booker, what's so funny? You all right? That was a good one. He laughs, he, he laughs, when he's in a good mood, he laughs at everything. When he's in a bad mood, he I hates everything. I know this guy for 20 fucking years, like the back of my hand. What's so funny? What did I say? No, no. That was... The segue? Too much beer, that idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, Scott, let me ask you a question. So, NWO is, is so huge, and it sustained the company for years. When did you feel that the NWO kind of proverbially jumped the shark, shall we say? When was it dying, you mean? Yeah, yeah, when did it start going down? Can I, can, wait, 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 can, I, can I answer that? Please. Can I answer that? Can I answer oh, please, that? Please, please. No, I, I, I want to answer that question right there because I was there. And, uh, and I want you guys, I need everybody to wake up here too for a second. All right, because you, you've, been, you've, been here, you've been here coming from the, uh, from the five-time champ. And... Um, <laughs> Two two time Hall of Famer. Two time Hall of Famer. <laughs> no, I thought I thought the NWO was literally perhaps the greatest idea in the history of ideas. I talked to Eric about this one day and he when I got to my punchline, he go, I didn't know you felt that way. <laughs> like we were in a long relationship or something. Which we were. But my thing was this. The NWO was such a great idea, but I remember uh, one time, and this is when I thought the turn was happening, and I thought, oh my God, man, this is, this is, this is wrong, all right? We were in Canada. We went to Toronto, Canada. It was my first trip to Toronto, Canada, and I was hot. I'm talking about white hot. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> baby face, right? I'm talking about um, everywhere I went, everybody was raising the roof. Everybody wanted to be a part of, you know, Booker T at that point in time. Um, Eric Bischoff had put the rocket on me, man. I'm serious. It put, sent me straight to the moon. And um, I remember that night in Toronto, Canada, I was working Kevin Nash, and Kevin went out before I did. Hit the NWO music, wow, 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 and they do their thing and what, whatnot. And Kev went out and literally gave everybody the two sweet on the way to the ring. And uh, and I'm sitting in the back, and I'm like, oh my God, what the hell is going on? And, uh, and then they play my music, dun, 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 and I walk out of that curtain. And they pulled my ass out of the arena. And I went, oh my God, you know what I mean? It really made me see that something was wrong as far as the um the 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 the, the, uh, the robbers were in, in charge. The cops were running from the robbers, and I was like, "Man, it's a shift happening here." And I thought that was the beginning of something that perhaps changed the momentum of everything. All right. NWO became the cool heels. Yeah, man. Which they made did. them, aka the baby faces. They did. Yeah. Scott, what yeah. do you think? Do you agree with that? Yeah, I I agree completely. I mean, we're here. The way I looked at it is, when whenever kid went out by himself, he got booed. When me and Kev went out, we got cheered. Because we had left Vince's baby faces and we were still kind of... And you guys were cool, man. And they took the title... You're doing cannonballs off the ring post into the pool at Cobra Vila. <laughs> I like those guys. <laughs> and they took the titles from Harlem Heat and we still never got a rematch to this day. And I'm still hot about that. Sounds like still a challenge about there. It. You know, rematch, ain't, rematch. Ain't gonna be rematch. no rematch. Ain't gonna be no rematch. <laughs> Scott, when did you when did you start seeing the the, the 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 trajectory go down? Well, I just felt like you know, I, I want to preface everything by saying when you get that guaranteed money, yeah. hey, it's full, and you know, like I don't have to solve all the problems, you know, like and, you, you you said earlier, but he told me once he goes, it's not show friendness, it's show business. I don't care if people like me. I still make my money. That's yeah, what said. yeah. I mean, and you reach a point, and I was—I didn't like me at that time, so I really didn't care what anybody else thought. So it's like, hey, we ain't got to ride up and down the road together. We don't have to eat dinner together. You want to go out and make money together? That's the objective, you know. Yeah, I was burnt out, and I started to realize too that once you get so dominant, then you can't draw money or ratings without somebody to work against. And that's why we were lucky to have guys like Book and guys like Dally, because now we got to have WCW guys needs to over, yeah. WCW needs to rise up. You know, there has to be a they have to fight back at some point. Dallas, did you, were you? I know that you worked with them quite a bit, especially I think Macho Man. When you that was kind of your coming out party, and he was in the NWO at the time, right? Yeah, but it was actually Scott and Kev who set it up, and it was all about like when I said if, you, if I ain't number four, I don't want to be in. And then it got to five and six, and by the time it got to seven, you know, and I'm still like at the bottom of the <laughs> middle of the card, and I know that I, I have that thing to get there. And I'm like, this, I'm out of here. <laughs> and I, and I, I came up, I, I, I'm driving home with Ice Train, 
from never forget it from from um, what's it North Carolina where Edge lives Asheville. Asheville. I was driving back with book uh, with uh, with um, ice train, and I came up with this idea where they asked me to be in, and I basically suddenly what I wasn't any good at number three or four or five or you come to me at eight you know you no and the only reason they let me go because it's reality based and they go dally he'll come around and then it happened again and again and then eventually put the shirt on and hug Kev and you know Scott high fives me and I as he goes to walk away I pull him in bang Kev goes over the top rope I bring that idea, not the E, I brought it to the big man, to Nash, in that building the next night. And I said, here's my idea. I understand if you don't want to do it, I'm going to ask for my release. And he said, no, dude, that's an awesome idea. Go tell Eric. I said, no, I got to go tell Scott first. And he said, no, no. You don't think Scott wants to help you? He don't forget when he's wife was pregnant and he needed a job like he wants he said you're ready we were talking about the other night he goes go tell eric i said i'm not telling him i'm gonna tell scott i go to see scott he's like but he knows i run the show <laughs> well all he says no you know but he said yeah go tell eric i said no let's tell him tonight at the bar after a couple of beers. And let Kev tell him. Because I'm not telling him. Oh, and here's it's, it's more effective when the guy's talking down, too, you know? <laughs> I've been around him for years. When you're 6'11", and you're looking up at you, like your neck's hurt, you know, whatever you say, man. Like, he's the only guy taller than you. He's BS'd his way through a lot of stuff. But what was really cool back then, you got to do the show, and then you go to the bar... And watch the replay. They used to have that on TNT or whatever. We, we, we could go to the bar. They would play it from 8 to 10, and they would be on from 11 to 1, for example. Yeah, so the bottom line is they pitched the idea to them, and then they, you know, Eric said, let's do it. And then he brought it to the book committee, and the booking committee put it on the sheet, meaning like the run sheet, and pulled it off the sheet nine out of eight weeks in a row. Why? Well, I'm just telling you what happened. Dude, I, listen, hold on, Paige. I know you. you. You would not have asked a question after week one. You tell me eight weeks in a row they pulled it off and you didn't say something? Oh, no, I said something. Bro, 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 bro. <laughs> so why did you pull it? Hold on, why did you pull it eight, eight, eight weeks in a row? Eight? I don't well, remember. It wasn't me in that It's time. in the weeds. Yeah, I don't right? recall. It wasn't, you know, and it was a reason for every time. Now, here's what it did. It made that angle actually take time. And it was the best thing to ever happen to me. But in New Orleans, at our first big show, I don't know, 30,000 people there. It's our first dome show. And I have 12 I minutes for the segment. And on the ride over, it gets cut to eight. And then while I'm stretching out, I get cut to six. By the time I'm hearing to play my music, Terry Taylor tells me you got four minutes. Now I'm batshit crazy. Like, this is not happening. And I look at Kev. 
This is what they're doing, blah, 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 blah. And he said, Dally. You're not on last. Yeah. He said, we're live. He goes, go out there, hit that jabron with the cutter. Let's have fun. It's your night. And that's what happened. We're out there and we exploded. He put it over huge on the color. And that's what made Savage, who I'd been for years, a humongous mark, and then became a, a friend, not close personal friend, but I was about to. And it's not like I said, hey, Eric, I want to work with Randy. Randy had to say, yeah. I want to work with him. And that was like, that's why that tribute on my site is so strong. But these two guys set it up. Randy, we were in uh, uh, Florence, South Carolina, and Arn was the agent at the time. Arn? Arn Anderson yeah. was the agent. And he, he walked in the night before uh, Spring Stampede, and he walked in the locker room, just me and Randy in there. And Randy's... And I are both putting on our boots and ain't gonna ask me what the finish is. Every night I'm getting left laying or just escaping with my life from the end of the, all the NWO. And uh, he says, So, Randy, what do you want to do tonight? Mm, think I want to take the diamond cutter. And Arn was like, Whoa, wow. Uh, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> this is a big deal for you, Diamond. It's no cameras, no nothing. And I said, yeah, Arn, I get it. And I said, we went out there, we did it. He beat the f*** out of me. And eventually I caught him out of nowhere with a diamond cutter, laid over him, one, two, three, and the place exploded. And it was like God took a cone of silence. As loud as it was, I could hear him say, hmm, guess we know what we're doing for Spring Stampede. <laughs> and I went, God, please, 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 please. And then it happened. Like, without Randy, you know, it never happens. But without those two setting it up, the and then you guys getting behind it, it was, uh, it, was great. it was an unbelievable ride. Unbelievable. Last few things. First of all, uh, I remember that New Orleans night when your time got cut, because my time got cut against Sergeant Craig Pittman. <laughs> anyone? Anyone? <laughs> uh, we had, a, uh, like, a seven-minute match that got cut to one minute. Do you know how long it takes to walk from the f back to the Orleans Dome? We had about a seven second match, but you know what the best part was? I was going over, so who gives a shit? It's what it is. Tackle, it only, drop, it only, down, finish. It only takes three seconds. That's right, brother. So, uh, two, two last things. One, I have to mention, Scott mentioned it earlier, and so did, so did, so did uh, Dallas, the music of the NWO. Wow, 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 wow. It's porno music. Where did that come from? Was it because my ring music, which you might not know this, was uh, a generic uh, thing that was actually, when I went to the, the studio to find it, it was called Basketball Highlights Number 12. <laughs> True story. It was a Turner bed music. So they play this for the basketball highlights and then they play it for my ring music. Where, what was the NWO ring music? Was, did you have any say in that, Scott? Do you know anything about it? Eric, tell us a story about that. It came from the same catalog that your music came from. <laughs> it was no, Basketball really Highlights number 15. No, it really did. They, Turner had a whole catalog of generic music that they owned, the uh, publishing and the licensing 
on so they didn't have to pay publishing rights. As you know, that's a, it's not only expensive, it's a very complex process because there's often more than one publisher and then there's writers and there's musicians and it's a pain in the ass. Right. So the, the network at the time, and I'm probably they still do, have their own catalog of music that they've had produced for them that they own 100% of the rights for. So when the NWO you know, became a thing and we knew that we had to have music for it, Craig Leathers, who was our director at the time, Great super guy, guy super guy. guy. Um, he and a handful of others that were in uh, production just went through that catalog and tried to find the, the music that kind of fit the NWO, and they found the porno music. It's, cla- it's classic, though, right? So great. Uh, last question. I know we have to go there. Tell me to wrap up. So uh, what? Uh, we'll start with Scott. What was your favorite... NWO moment. Um, I think Sir. for I think for me it was Bash the Beach, like you know, and, and it worked. You know, I I've been in business a long time, but people had never thrown stuff in the ring before. Like it worked, like throwing people, garbage. Yeah, and people protest. were mad. A fan hit the ring. You know, like I mean, for real too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Kev drilled him. <laughs> then I, when he's down, I put the boots to him. Yeah. <laughs> As soon as Kev takes him out, you go. Yeah, I looked at him. See Mark? <laughs> hey, but dude, no, that's what I would do. No, to me, and I remember always trying to be aware. Like you learn when you work for Vance where the hard cams are and stuff. And I remember after it worked, grabbing like putting Hulk in the middle and just I want this in my scrapbook. Like three of us, boom, you know, did business, turned Hulk heel, boom, you know. Yeah, to me that was everything else was downhill. It was the uh, the uh, birth of the true NWO. Yeah. 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 Page? Oh, without doubt, the Spring Stampede with Randy being the first one. And when that shit was flying, I would crawl and roll right under there so the shit that was flying would hit that shit instead of me. It looks <laughs> like I was left laying. <laughs> Book? Uh, I think, um, I think um, Eric Bischoff summed it up best um, with 83 weeks because... That was the greatest ride in the history of the business at that point in time. Yeah. I'm talking about, look at um, the arenas now and the shows now. Yeah, I, I'm serious. I mean, we were in, every week we were in a 20,000 seat or higher. It was like a pay-per-view every week on television, man. And for me to actually be able to, to perform and actually go out and... and uh, Shock and amaze, you know. <laughs> no, man. Uh, Eric um, and, and the NWO literally uh, sparked that flame for that to happen. So I'm just, you know, honored and to be a part of that. Seriously. Uh, for me, I mentioned it earlier, but we used to do shows at Cola Vila, which is a great, uh, like a nightclub in Panama City for uh, spring break or whatever it was. And Listen, I'm a nobody. I'm super scared, like nervous. Like, what do I do? I got my little. Don't buy it. No, 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 no. no. Seriously, when I see Scott and Kevin show up in Hawaiian shirts and board shorts, after having a few beers. Well, and 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 by the way, so did I. I was loaded. I worked with Hoovy one night. I never told you because you're you you're my boss. I was drunk one night in the ring. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. We still tore the house down. But to watch these guys, and listen, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall were always 
idols to us because they were they had been to the big show and they were the guys that came to the first time I met you uh, was it Gainesville Georgia or some little shitty Saturday night taping and I show up you got to be there at 12:30 and I show up at 12:30 and there's nobody there except for Scott Hall and Kevin Nash am I right Remember that's, this? That, that's that Titan training brother <laughs> yeah it says 12:30 you be there 12:15 you uh, aka the Japan training. You were told the Titan. I was told Japan. They say twelve thirty. You get there twelve fifteen, yeah. and it's me, loser, nobody, little guy, and Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, and Kevin Ash Diesel, and we're just sitting there, and they're like, "So what's going on, man?" I'm like, uh, "I don't know. How are you guys doing? Nice to meet you." But anyways, to see them jump off the post into the water with the cannonballs, it was like. I want to be those guys, the guys that are so confident in their own abilities and so confident in who they are as characters, they can do a cannibal into the water and know that it's going to get them over more. I could do 17 triple Lindy, triple double moonsaults and no one's going to give a shit, but those guys do a cannonball and they get a huge pop. That's what wrestling is. It's show business. Right? So... It was a great. It was it was a lot of fun in those days. Eric, your favorite Indo memory? There, there were so many of them, and this certainly wasn't the biggest moment because there were so many other big moments between Hulk Hogan turning and so many of the other things that we did that are too too many to to recount here. But for me personally, uh, of the things that I was physically involved in, um, I think when Kevin Nash powerbombed me off the stage in Baltimore, shit got real. You know, I mean, not just a power bomb. That was that was not a big deal. Uh, it looked like it was, but it really wasn't. But you could feel, I I could feel for the first time because I was always backstage. I wasn't in the ring. I wasn't doing it the way you guys were. You guys could sense the audience. I was backstage in an office on a monitor, right? It's different. But when I was out there on that stage and, and um, Scott punched me in the stomach and Kevin spun me around, Jack and I power bombed me off the stage. When I got back stage i could feel the energy and i knew it was different than all of the un- all of the energy i had ever felt before and that that stands out to me to by me, the way to me, to watching that and seeing that all go down live man i was like whoa shit's on now and because that had never been done before exactly this is back in the day when guys were getting powerbound enough stages for a commercial break it was the first time ever listen I'm really glad that we got to do this. Uh, utmost respect for all of these guys on stage right now. Seriously. We've had ups, we've had downs, but all of these guys are f***ing legends to me. Thank you guys for coming. You got a standing O, brother. Hey, by the way, DDPY on the main deck at 11 on Wednesday and Thursday, right? You better be there. 200 people there, first time we were up there. If you're not there, Paige will come to your door and knock on it. He did to me last year. You bet your ass. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Dallas. Thank you, Book. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, guys.